Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elcherson, and as always, to my left here is Mr. Angel Mendoza. Hello, world. And this week, we are joined by special guest, Jort Posel, the Managing Director of Digital Marketing over at Accenture. So, Jort, welcome to Floor 9. Hi, Scott. Angel. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Warm welcome. Yeah, Jort Posel. New York, um, originally from Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and I work as a managing director at Accenture, where I focus on social and digital media. And uh, happy to be here. Glad to have you here. I would say I didn't, I didn't know you were from Amsterdam. I was actually just there last last winter, but it rained the whole time for New Year's. But it was really cool. Yeah, I'm sure my Brooklyn accent. Yeah. <laughs> where I'm actually from. I've I've heard that you're a coffee enthusiast. Is is this true? Is the Grape Line lying to me or uh, or not i'm uh, i care about a good cup of coffee <laughs> that's that's correct so out of all the places in manhattan which one do you recommend that's a really tough one to start I, off i'm with. starting with the hardballs <laughs> yeah right? um i um in many ways i'm i'm much of an explorer so i try not to box myself in too much in terms of being too selective in in some ways this goes for where i live how we spend our time as a family vacations and also coffee so i uh, i'm really excited about where coffee is at this moment in time uh, there's so many layers to explore so many great companies bubbling up so instead of one single brand i subscribe to a box service now where every 10 days they send me a new uh, batch of beans from another small roasting company somewhere in the country. And uh, what I love about this is that uh, all these places are really authentic, uh, real brands that are driven by a true passion for good coffee. So Starbucks isn't your go-to. <laughs> <laughs> Starbucks isn't part of that list. <laughs> that was a phenomenal answer. Yeah, that was that was very good. Um, and... I think this is a great segue into our topic today, which is brand trust, which is one of the IPG Media Lab's 2018 Outlook themes. Trust between consumers and brands has always been uh, an important factor when it comes to brand and consumer relationship. Only select few brands will be granted access to these most private spaces. Uh, that trust will include confidence in our product or service itself, uh, but also the confidence in the ethics and the politics about the company behind it. Uh, but that's not all because... On top of that, we are no longer making choices for us, but we're putting our, our trust, in a sense, into these companies like Netflix and Amazon uh, to recommend products and content uh, that best aligns with our values or what we would think is the most um, acceptable form of content to watch. Uh, and hopefully, we're trusting them to not necessarily just shove what's new that they want views on uh, down, down the pipeline. I want to jump right into this question of you know, what can happen when a brand loses consumer trust? Like, like, What is that impact? The relationship between consumers and the outside public and brands has changed in massive ways over the last few years. And to a large extent, I think this is because of social media and because of, of digital media and the transparency, the speed, the proximity that requires between a brand and the outside public. You know, it's hard to gain true trust. It's really easy to lose it, especially in this world. And yes, I do think if you lose the trust or if you start to lose the trust, this day and age, consumers will think twice before they uh, start taking you off the rack. In my opinion, this really impacts product rollout. So as a platform, if you need to monetize, if you don't have that brand trust, 
there's no way you can really roll out new features or let alone new ad products. So that's the way I see how brand trust can immediately or heavily impact a platform or a brand. Yeah. And you know that even goes to the idea of how Facebook, they wanted to bring a home speaker to the platform. But after this whole scandal came in Analytica, they lost all this consumer trust. Nobody was going to have them come into their home. And it's that is a big barrier as more and more of this competition between these major tech platforms happens in the home. Uh, you were going to need that consumer trust to enter into these new markets. Because if you don't have that trust, then it's going to severely limit how you can play and compete uh, and stay relevant with consumers, but also, you know, with the, like the greater tech industry and the corporations out there. So it's, it's a, it's a big thing to lose. Like there's a lot on the line. I think that's a great point. And it's, um, a point that doesn't get a lot of media attention right now, but one of the things you raise is opportunity cost. So um, what could these brands, these companies be doing if there wasn't this lack of trust or this uh, issue in data privacy? So, uh, to your point about Facebook and new products that they could be introducing. I think it's all the more reason for these companies, not just Facebook and Google, but, but the whole collective that you just mentioned, to come together and to work together with governments mm -hmm. to define what the future should look like and a more responsible future with that. Um, so one of the points that, that struck me coming out of these hearings, for example, example, with Facebook um, here in the US and in Brussels is um, the big narrative on mainstream media was that Facebook won, right? This was an easy day for Facebook. They won, they came out, uh, not too much damage done. Um, I have a contrary view. I, I don't think, first, I don't think there's an actual winner here, but also I don't think the, the fight for Facebook is to get through these hearings and and to have these battles won versus regulators i think the true battle is to win back brand loyalty brand trust yeah. to define a responsible future that uh, consumers understand and that they buy into and i think uh, you know a hearing where all the issues are put on the table and uh, Facebook is able to give proper answers to these uh, these tough questions is a step closer to that. I agree, and even based off the recent earning like like the earning calls, they expect to be um, not hitting some of their goals that Wall Street's projecting because they're doing just that. They're, they're working on building trust. They're working on reestablishing and reconnecting that one to one that personal like relationship, and they aren't focused as much as as a publisher or as, as an advertising platform. Like they're trying to rebuild that um, that all all that trust they lost. So it's going to be um, it's, it's going to be a battle for them. It's going to be a struggle to kind of bring that back because the the backlash has just been huge. Yeah, and I also wonder how it's going to impact Instagram and WhatsApp. Because right now, a lot of the conversation is just on Facebook. But to your earlier point, education, I wonder how many people know that Facebook owns those platforms. That's a good question. I would assume a lot of people know that. But I think those are the two areas that are going to keep Facebook afloat for like the foreseeable you know, next few years as they're battling to, you know, again, bring back that consumer trust. Um, and even extend it from Instagram, maybe to back to the Facebook platform. Um, and Jordan, I know, you know, from a social media perspective, like how are you seeing or what are your thoughts on like, like brands and how they kind of react and be a part of that conversation when it comes to um, social media? So um, 
I think you're absolutely right. Uh, brand trust is more important than ever. It's um, difficult to build up. It takes a long time to build up. And I think it's, especially this day and age, it's easy to lose. I think it used to be a lot easier where brands, to a certain extent, controlled the channels and the messaging to their audiences. Um, communicating brand personality and building uh, a certain set of attributes with your audience was a much simpler task. I think social media changed this in the biggest way possible for multiple reasons. But I think the main one is interactivity, is conversation. And not just copy or visuals. It's all aspects of communication. So speed, formats, volume. Um, it's the way you show up. And brands, from that standpoint, brands have never been expo have never been exposed like this. You bring up a really good point where you mentioned controlling the message because every day there's a new platform, uh, social media, so Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Now you even have Twitch and YouTube and so on and so forth. From your point of view, what are some basic steps that a brand can do to help control their message or what they're trying to put out there? So I think control does no longer exist. I think control is out of the window. Whether you decide to participate or not, you're part of the conversation. So I think as a brand, you have to recognize that. I think that's a, a big first step. You have to recognize this. And then from there, you have to you have to strategize around what you want your role to be in the conversation. I think a large part of this starts with listening, mm -hmm. with understanding the conversation, understanding what people are talking about, why they're talking about it in this way, who are the loudest, most relevant voices in a space, and really get a good sense of the landscape overall. For, because from there, you can plan your role. Uh, you can be a facilitator of conversations. You can be a active contributor, um, which I think is always a better place to start from than just being reactive, uh, especially when an issue arises. Absolutely. And to reinforce that even more, uh, a recent study from Sprout Social uh, has stated that 60% of consumers say that's very important for brands uh, to take a stance on these issues when they, when they do arise on social media platforms. Uh, and then 58% of those consumers, you know, truly want that to happen on social media. So it's very important for brands uh, to understand and analyze that situation and then show up um, where they can and provide that value and that, you know, their viewpoint on these topics because consumers are, consumers are asking for it now. Yeah. I love it. Whether, whether you like it or not, you're part of that conversation. So you should plan to be active or reactive. So I think that's a really good, um, point to make yeah take patagonia for example they're they've been out there spreading their agenda act be, being activists in a sense in this space for, for decades uh most recently their their newest campaign is allowing or their like their push is to have all corporations take november 6th off for election day to really encourage people to vote because uh, that's one of again one of the bigger issues is the getting you know our actual consumers out there the time and freedom to go out there and vote um but i guess when it comes to a brand uh when is it time for them or how should they actually take those steps to build that that conversation on these on these platforms um 
Joe, I know like your, your, your MBA uh, was done on social media and communication and brand personalities. Uh, so, you know, what are some tips or tricks that you would think or strategies that brands can implement to, to really start that, start that conversation when, the, when these issues arise? Brand trust has a lot to do with transparency, with sincerity, with consistency, authenticity, and, and proximity, the closeness to a brand that you feel. And to a large extent, you can plan for this as a brand. So what I what I found in my MBA research is that, for example, an increased level of human communication, where people feel they are communicating with a real person, proved to increase the level of perceived sincerity. Another one, the consistent quality over time also had a positive effect on sincerity. Uh, as it builds familiarity, you feel a closeness to a brand. And, you know, that's why it's called brand personality. The brand starts to become a friend, a, a, a somebody who's relatively close to you. So in short, you can plan and have a look at all aspects of your brand behavior and activate them in such a way that they truly bring the brand closer to the consumer. Got it. And to add to this or to that, and you could tell me if I'm wrong or not, I think if a brand is looking to make a stance or make a statement, I believe they need to have a strong culture to begin with. Because if you make that stance and your employees are divided, I, I just don't think it's going to work out well. Do you have the same point of view or do you see it in a different way if a brand wanted to make a stance? What's that first step? I think you're absolutely right. I think a stance comes from core values. Mm -hmm. um, I think truly comp a company's core values are more important than ever before. It used to be that core values were printed and, and hang somewhere next to the water cooler or somewhere. Uh, now it's really being used as a compass, a compass for leaders to uh, understand uh how they have to make decisions uh, for current and future employees. Um, what decisions do I make day in, day out in my work? Or do I want to work for that company? What do they stand for? And finally, for consumers, right? Do I, what's the story behind that brand? And uh, do I buy from that standpoint? Absolutely. The, I, the idea of bringing this relevance to the issue that stems from these core values is uh, very, very important. For example, Tim Cook over at Apple, uh, he looks at what Apple's good at. What are their core values? What are the areas in which they have experience? And from there, that is like that first gate or filter for them to understand what issues that they're going to actually weigh in on. Because they want to bring that same level of expertise, that experience that they bring into their products or their consumers to these issues uh, that kind of affect the greater global, you know, economy. Uh, so that that's, in, you know, another way that brands are kind of looking at, or at least how Apple's looking at it when it comes to really taking on some of these um, hot topic issues or hot button issues that are out there in the market. And with that, it's becoming very difficult for brands to appeal to everybody in the market. Uh, once you pick a side, there's going to be two people on both sides of that. So, uh, how do you, how do you guys envision brands dealing with this kind of controversy of, sticking to their, their core values and you know, st speaking up about topics where they have experience, but also knowing that this could alienate some of their, some of their potential consumers, like their target market. Like how does, how, how do brands navigate that? It's a tough question. <laughs> At the end of the day, I, I think in my opinion, if you're going to make a stance, 
you're you're gonna take a hit, but it's really not. I think a brand shouldn't look near term. It should be more longer term. So if you make a stance, this is something that yes, you're gonna lose consumers today, but down the road, this is a investment in brand loyalty. So if you're making the right one, I guess the perfect output would be that your audience grows based on that, and they stay loyal because I think more consumers today are price sensitive versus brand loyal. Jordan, how about yourself? I think we have to be careful not to confuse consumers with the general public with an opinion. Um, you want consumers to buy your product and you care about the overall public opinion, but the old brand thinking remains true. You can't be everything to everyone and not everybody can be your target audience. So I think you have to keep that in mind. And I think uh, the other point holds true as well. The brand is really a reflection of the company's history, services, products, behavior over time, and really its people. And often, if you look closely at that, that there's a wide range of diversity there. And I think you have to keep that in mind when you take a stand. Also, I don't think, by and large, it is the role of a brand to be strongly opinionated about everything. I know we've come more and more to a world where, you know, opinions are flying around left and right in very <laughs> strong terms. And there is, in some ways, there is a lack of listening to the other side. And, and so things get more and more divisive. But when I think about brands, A, there is often much more diversity in a company to take a firm single stance on one particular point. Also, you know, when you think about religion, when you think about politics, when you think about sports, to what extent do we expect a brand to take a standpoint there? Or is it okay for a brand to be more diverse and be open to different kind of opinions in those spaces? I think it's the latter. Never really looked at that way, like being open to opinions versus making a stance. Because to your point, if you have an opinion on everything or most things, you're going to alienate a lot of people and there's going to be an overlap of your consumers. So I think you're spot on. Is a good, you know, th option C in a sense where it's like you can be a, a curator of that conversation in a sense rather than being absolute. And I want to move now kind of into this next topic that we want to cover, which is the idea of trust in AI algorithms. The idea here is we're putting more and more trust into these algorithms to serve us up content, music recommendations, product recommendations. So in a sense, we don't have to make that decision. We're, and we're putting our trust in these companies that they are actually recommending the right product for us and they aren't stuffing the latest, hottest, whatever it might be down our throat, whether it's a product recommendation, whether it's a Netflix you know, new release. Um, and it brings up this question, what are some of these issues that we have with AI today. AI it seems, seems like it's a magical word that's powering all, all these products for us. Uh, but there's, like I said, like there's a data, like wait, wait, what are these other issues that we have that are, because like th th this is still such, such a young space. Uh, and, as, and as Facebook says, it's not the cure to everything when it comes to, to fake news today, maybe in time, but definitely not today. There's a lot to be done with it. Yeah, I'll kick it off. So I guess I'm okay with the AI recommending content to me. So for example, whether it's Netflix or YouTube, I'm okay with it because how can you prove otherwise? I think the issue will be is when more of these platforms start having their own matching percentage or their own recommendation for the same type of content. So for example, and we talked about this earlier, Google rolling out their match 
percentage based on what you're clicking. So the coffee place or restaurant, they have their own specific match to you based on the data they have. If I'm seeing multiple, I guess, scores or percentages on the same content or location, I'm, that's when I think I'm going to be like, what is going on? Who do I trust? How is each platform doing it? So I think that's where, and this is, again, my opinion, I think where I will become more frustrated versus trusting the current algorithms. I think it's a fascinating area. I think, uh, especially when you think about brands, um, to uh, I think their brands are becoming more important in, in that world because in some ways, to your point, brands are becoming filters f for you. So you want to understand what that filter really is and what it's based on. Uh, the other part of it is what brand do you let closely to you? Do you let into your household, close to your family? Um, you know, there are some conversations around uh, the differences between Google and Apple, right? And the way they treat cont uh, data, um, which I think is gonna become more and more important. I don't think it's a mainstream conversation yet, uh, I think the conversation around AI so far has been mostly led uh, by technology and what's possible. But I think you're getting to that conversation now about, well, what ha what happens from there? And I, I, I think it's really important that that becomes a... Um, a mainstream conversation where everyday consumers start to understand what they're really bringing into their house mm -hmm. and what's behind that filter, which is uh, a bigger question than just which filter works best for me, meaning best is probably, you know, what are the best recommendations, but it's more also about what happens with the data from there. Um, it also uh, raises questions about uh, uh, AI ethics, something that we care uh, deeply about here at Accenture. So, for example, we have done some work recently around a AI fairness tool that identifies and helps fix algorithms bias in AI products and systems. Um, the result is uh, equal outcomes for different people, which is a huge breakthrough, I think. So it's those types of things that you start to see bubble up. I think they have to become part of a mainstream conversation. Education is part of that as well, because people have to understand what they're bringing into their house. I love that because that becomes that third-party AI validator, that AI fairness tool. So up next, we'll go into our third section here, which is data privacy and security. Do you guys think consumers care about data privacy? Happy to kick that one off. I think, of course they do. I just think they they much prefer to rely on the brand or the platform to take care of that. No one wants to keep worrying about where my credit card data is going because it's just too much to really think about on top of your day-to-day. -day. So for me specifically, and I feel like along with the younger generation to get a better sense of the value exchange is I am providing you my data for something in return, but inherently I am trusting you to secure that data and keep that secure. So to make that long answer short, I think they much prefer someone else takes care of it, but brands aren't most, some brands aren't doing a great job of keeping that secure. Right. And it, as they say, it isn't, if you've been hacked, it's when you'll have a data breach. Uh, and it kind of elevates 
the priority of data security in an in, in organization. I think for the longest time, data security has not been the top priority. But today, that data is the one, one of the first barriers that can break down consumer trust, which impacts like your brand trust, which can then just have a snowball effect of how productive or how effective a company or brand can actually be. Uh, but Jordan, what about you? What, what are your thoughts on consumers and their uh, level of uh, caring about their personal data? I believe they definitely care, but I don't think there's enough understanding yet in terms of what's out there and what their choices are. I think to a large extent, it, currently it's the balance between ease of use and complete privacy of your data. Um, I think very soon data privacy will become a unique selling point. And I think consumers expect brands to step up here Mm -hmm. to your point i don't think consumers think they're gonna all figure it out themselves and set every service up exactly in the way that uh is gonna guarantee a hundred percent data privacy i think they're gonna expect more and more that brands will help them do that and i think as part of that transparency is key because what might be data important in data privacy for me might be different for you scott and you might have uh different expectations on data privacy and you might uh, want to give more data to a brand in order to increase usability of a certain product. But I think giving the consumer clear choices of, uh, you know, if you give more of X, I can give you more of Y in terms of usability, in terms of uh, experience of a product, etc. I don't see a lot of that right now, and I think that's what we have to get to very soon. I agree. And to even add on that, I think it also takes into account not only like the consumers, but where the consumers are. So wait, what platform are they on? Inherently, Facebook, for example, there was a big breach. There was a lot of uproar. But inherently, people know Facebook is an open platform. I think people are okay and they understand how Facebook works. So in general, yes, there was a big breach. Yes, there was a lot of controversy about it. But most consumers of Facebook understood, hey, it's a public it's a, it's a public domain and they aren't too worried about their their data on that specific social media network. However, if you look at medical records, I think that's where you'll see the consumers align on like their privacy policy. So if you take a look at medical records or credit card statements, you know, like the even more personal information that's really tied to them, their social security number, you know, that's when their alignment on privacy will align with the actual uh, platform that it's on, like where like where like where the context is is the same. Uh, so I think I think there's also, you know, again, just a a a relevancy to where and which platform a consumer is on and how much they care about their data and how much of it is actually exposed. Sure. Do you think consumers will start providing brands false data knowing that there's so many security breaches? For for so for example, whenever I sign up for a newsletter, it's not my personal email. It's a spam email that I I prefer to send. Do you think when it comes to purchases or just filling out forms, you're going to start seeing that from consumers? I don't think so. Not at a big scale. Maybe there are some elements like email addresses, yeah. which I think have always been a problem. Um, 
No, I think in the end it will become more and more clear that there is a direct link between the accurate data that you provide and the increase in usability mm-hmm. and experience of a certain product or service. So, um, you know, providing accurate data is actually a plus and you will enjoy the benefits. That's Facebook's whole whole spiel when they were saying, yes, you can clear history, but the idea of the product working properly is, more personalized. is more personalized. Like you want to have that data there for them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. But then it has to be really clear to the consumer what they're signing up for mm. and and what are those different levers they can pull in order to uh, increase the level of, level of data privacy or increase the level of customization. Yeah. Agreed. And that's hopefully as we're seeing is these data and privacy security terms of services will become more and more clear because that's what needs to happen because nobody is reading those 45 to 100 page terms of services so like the idea of openly and clearly and transparently saying this is how your data is going to be used this is what we capture yes or no or all you know different check boxes to allow you to pick what and how data is used uh, is very important moving forward for not just social networks but all brands when it comes to your personal privacy did you guys go through and delete all your facebook history like how much do you guys care like what end of the spectrum are you on do you care a lot are you kind of free and open with it what are your thoughts I guess it comes down to education to your earlier point, Short. For me specifically, if it's on social media, I whether it's a private account or not, I feel like my understanding is that anyone can see it or it can be easily retrieved. So for me, anything I put up on social or on the internet as a whole, I feel like it's already out there. And I, it's funny because it ties back to the very first topic that we talked about, the coffee subscription. So knowing that you are a coffee enthusiast, are you more open to giving that company more data, more personal data, so they can personalize the type of coffee they send to you every month? I think so, and not just because it's coffee. Um, <laughs> but but it comes back to what we started about in this conversation, which I think it's an excellent question. It definitely holds true. I have a higher brand loyalty to those kind of companies mm. than maybe to some other companies that are out there. And one of the reasons is... Um, you know, you start to look for the why, the why behind the product, and you start to get a better understanding of the company behind that coffee, a small, authentic place that cares tremendously about the coffee. You know what kind of data you give them and why they need that data mm-hmm. and what they're going to do with it. With it, There's full transparency. So from that standpoint, that creates a certain level of sincerity and trust, mm-hmm. and I can go along with them to a large extent. But I want to move into some brand takeaways. Angel, would you like to go first? Would love to. I think my brand takeaway is culture. You have to have a strong culture in order to be prepared whether to take a stance or not. Either way, you need to have your your employees, I guess, believe in one vision or core values. And I guess the other is many brands don't have the money like a Facebook or a Google. So I feel like they should be open to outsourcing security because as we're seeing with all these data breaches, they're not going to be able to build an in-house team that does security and privacy as well as some of these other companies or platforms that solely focus on that and sell it as a service. Jordan, how about yourself? I think nowadays as a brand, you're more exposed than ever before, whether you choose to participate or not. So I think it, 
all brands will have to realize that and will have to plan from there. I think from there, again, core values are key. They're more important than ever before. And I hope all brands will put them front and center versus just somewhere in the um, next to the water cooler uh, to look at once in a while. Um, Core values can be used as a compass for leaders, for employees, for future employees, and for brands to tell the why story. More and more consumers by the why behind the brand and behind the product and not the what. And I think core values are the starting point for defining that why and telling the story to the outside world. For me, I definitely, I completely agree with you in that. There's a great, uh, there's a great Ted talk um, about Apple and how they sell the why and not the what. And that is, um, so I can, I completely agree. And I would have to say, you know, when it comes to brands, this is a prime opportunity in this world of misinformation and chaos where they can actually go out there um, as leaders in the industry and help sort and be those aggregators of this content that is verified factual information. So if you're a brand, let's say in like the healthcare industry, or if you're a brand publishing that has a lot of clout and good standing, you know, you can take that time and that effort and that'll pay off dividends, you know, down the road when people can view you as a trusted source of information, as well as a place where they know that you're curating information that is trusted, factual, verified, and, you know, good content to be consumed. So with that, anything else? Any uh, any last uh, comments, brand takeaways? I'm really looking forward to that cup of coffee yeah. <laughs> at that place that you recommended. I know you will enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, Jort, thank you so much for coming on today and helping us talk about uh, this very complex topic, uh, brand trust. And you know, how can our listeners get in touch with you? What's Instagram, the email, the, like the Twitter? What's the best way to, to contact you? Absolutely. Um, and thanks for having me. Uh, I should be pretty easy to find on, uh, <laughs> online. Um, probably the best one is, is Twitter, one of my favorite platforms, uh, at Yortpossel, J-O-R-T-P-O-S-S-E-L. Uh, fairly accessible there. Excellent. With that, if you're looking for more great content, please check out our website, ipglab.com. From there, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter as well as access our Medium blog, where you can read a bunch of uh, additional content articles uh, that are all published there. You can follow us on our social channels, uh, both Twitter and Instagram are at IPGLab. And lastly, if you like what you heard, share, tell a friend, give us some claps on Medium. Whatever you can do, we uh, greatly appreciate it. So thank you, and we'll talk soon.